0: you for tuning in to the 130th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, thank you for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, whichever podcasting music stream you are listening to me from. Being recorded from John Carroll University and University Heights, Ohio, Murphy Hall to be specific. Had a great weekend got to watch a lot of uh, NBA All-Star stuff, uh, got to come back home actually too, back to Buffalo, got to see a lot of friends, family, scared my mom actually, uh, saw kids from high school I haven't seen in Lord knows how long. It was a really fun time and I really enjoyed myself. And while I was home, I got to interview Harrison Fagan. He's a Lakers beat writer and editor chief uh, for SB Nation. I'm going to have him on the show, going to talk about Kobe's passing. Also going to talk about the Lakers' season. Uh, he, has, he says some interesting stuff about Magic Johnson in terms of leaking. Just going to talk to him about everything Lakers and just get his perspective and get that information out to all of y'all. Now, here's what we have. Because, uh, right, right, All-Star Weekend. And sometimes I can be critical of the NBA. Uh, I always t- say, NBA can't stand up to the NFL, like. Right, the Super Bowl gets a fifty for their ratings. And that's a down year. The NBA's down year is like a nine point seven. Right, that th- that's wh- where the NFL is and the NBA is. But here's the one thing, wh- one of the things that the NBA has that the NFL doesn't. They're All Star Weekend. You know, they're Pro Bowl when you honor the best players that season in the game in that particular sport. And I think the NBA really hit it on the head. And and, and honestly, what I think they could do is, I I think they could extend All-Star Weekend. I wouldn't mind having All-Star Weekend be kind of a whole week and have it be a celebration. Why not? I I think it'd be great. I think it's interesting. I think it's stuff that you want to see and you want to watch. Like me, you know, Skills Channel, the the Pro Bowl, receivers catching passes. Like, I'm not interested in that. I'm really not interested in the game. The NBA All-Star stuff is the only stuff I watch. I don't watch baseball. I don't watch football. Hockey. Because with the NBA, it's it's more entertaining. And I think what the NBA really did, which really hit it on the head, first one to 157 points wins, that's a genius idea. And there have been games, and like I said, I watch NBA, the All-Star game, but I don't watch it that closely because, you know, A lot of times they're not playing defense. It's just a glorified all-star game. But it was very competitive. It was a lot more competitive than usual. And it made me stay in tune a lot longer. Like, I don't watch the NFL Pro Bowl at all. Don't watch baseball at all. Hockey at all. While watching it a little bit. But it made me kind of watch it a lot and really get into it. Because you saw players yelling at each other. Hard fouls. Yelling at refs. And I'm going to give Skip Bayless credit for this. And he said this on his Twitter timeline. It was almost like instead of it being this glorified dunk contest with spectacular plays, it was like it was a pickup game between the best players in the world and it was a fight for supremacy and bragging rights among each other. When you see LeBron dribbling the ball up the court and then you see Giannis getting down in a low stance ready to guard him. And I think if the NBA can... Keep this going in manufacturing. There's a lot of things to play, too. You know, the, the tragic passing and death of Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant. All-star MVP award went to Kawhi Leonard. And it it's now uh, Kobe Bryant's name is on it in his honor. That might have had a little bit of a impact on why the players played so hard. But I think having, this, having the score, 100, first one to 157 wins, genius idea. You saw how hard they played. You saw, like I said, you saw the hard fouls, the, yellings at the, the yelling at the ref. Players actually playing defense. Players diving for loose balls. And I think this is something that uh, the MLB doesn't have to worry. It's something actually everybody could pick up on. Because I think what you really want for an All-Star game in any sport, because always the the argument, right, fans, GMs, everybody's always like, you don't want to get hurt. But if you think about it, NBA players... And it's going to be hard to do this for football, but NBA players, they play all during the offseason. They play basketball all the time. Pick up a basketball, you dribble, you play you play one-on-one, five-on-five, you go to the gym, right? Remember when Devin Booker was screaming over the summer? They're double-teaming me, they're double-teaming me. Like, you play pickup basketball. And if you can get that kind of pickup basketball atmosphere, because the shit you can get her playing pickup, too, as well as an all-star game, and you give get players to play with that level, of te- that level of intensity, that level of aggression. I think that's great for All-Star Week. And also, here's what I would say. I, this is what the NBA needs to do, and I've said this for a long time. They need like a one-on-one or three-on-three tournament. They need that. They, they, they need that. That is what they need. You can name it after Kobe's honor, right? Kobe was a one-on-one player, a scorer extraordinaire. How many people would tune in to see... Ben Simmons versus Luka Doncic in one-on-one. See what happens. First one to five, ten. I don't know how you would do that, but I think that would be really entertaining. You could have it a bracket or a round robin. I think it'd be wildly entertaining. I know they had Dame Lillard rap during NBA All-Star Weekend, but you know what? How about this? You know Dame Lillard's a rapper? How about halftime? And you could make this during um, halftime of the celebrity game or the rookie-sophomore game. You could have Dame Lillard versus Shaq rap battle because they were having a little bit of rap beef, and you could have that. Stuff like that, creative stuff like that, you know, different stuff that changes every year. I always said, it I said this last year, and obviously think people would never do this, when Markel Fultz, Markel Fultz was on the Philadelphia 76ers, why not have Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz play a game of horse and have Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler commentating? That would be gold. I mean, obviously, that would never happen. But I think stuff like that is what we need. And for the dunk contest, there's a mandate. Players need to talk to the media. There needs to be media availability. Why not mandate? LeBron has to play in the dunk contest. This player needs to play in the dunk contest. I think that would be good. You know, the NBA kind of taking things into their own hands in terms of this is how we grow the game. We get more eyes. More people watch. You make more money. More TV revenue. Everybody wins. Endorsement deals galore. Bada boom, bada bang. That's how it works. Sometimes when you're in a business and you're the boss of that business, you need to make decisions for the employees, and the employees are going to have to just deal with it because it's the long-term future. And obviously LeBron couldn't do it now because he's in year 17 and he's 35 years old. But players like that, I think that's something else the NBA could do. But I love the All-Star Weekend. And my last tidbit before we have Harrison Fagan on. Derrick Jones Jr. versus Aaron Gordon, which was a spectacular dunk contest. Derek ends up beating Aaron Gordon. Not because he had better dunks, which you could make that argument, but I think it was very close. And I actually I would have picked Aaron Gordon because he jumped over Taco Fall. He's seven foot six. But because Derek Jones went first and Aaron Gordon went last. The needs, the champion 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 needs, the chain, needs, the chain, needs the change. and you need to make it up to 100 points. And uh, if you missed your first dunk, then that's not a point off because we need something to separate, you know, the, the dunks because they're all spectacular. These are all elite athletes. As Kenny Smith said, professional dunkers, elite dunkers, there needs to be some separation. So miss first dunk, that's a point off, a couple points off. If you get it in your first try, maybe that gives you bonus points. You start at 10, and that gives you bonus points if you hit it in your first try. Stuff like that because, and this is the reason why Derrick Jones won. This is the only reason why he won. He went first, and I think at the end of it, everybody just kind of went at the end of the the whole thing, right? It's the last thing of the night. Everybody wants to go home. It's a Saturday night. Everybody's going to party, right? It's All-Star Weekend. You know there's parties. You know it is Chicago, too. Great nightlife. You know everybody wants to go out. TNT, it's a television show, right? There's contract demands. There's a show coming after. You don't want a little bit of layover. The players are tired. And, you know, they definitely want a party of everybody. All the fans are getting kind of anxious. And there's only so many dunks to practice. Like, Aaron Gordon did not practice that with Taco Fall. That was something he thought of in the spur of the moment. And this is another point Bill Simmons made on his podcast. What adds if Aaron Gordon would have got hurt? Like... He jumped over a 7 foot 6, 7 foot 5 man. Like, that could end very badly too. Like, I know it was a spectacular duck, right? But that could have ended very badly and it could have been very tragic or unfortunate. So you probably shouldn't have these guys practicing stuff, doing stuff in front of everybody that is unsafe, that they haven't really practiced or tried out. Because th- that can lead to a bad and unfortunate situation. So there needs to be a time. I think there needs to be a little bit more cohesiveness in terms of how we're scoring this slam dunk contest and how we're doing everything so it doesn't end up getting into it's his dunk, it's his dunk, and the judge are finally like, okay, we all want to go home. We all need to end this. Let's just, do, let, 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 let's just give it to Derek. And honestly, they probably could have tied Give them both a trophy. Why not? Now, that's my whole tangent. Now, coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Harrison Fagan on the show. Come up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Harrison Fagan. He covers the Los Angeles Lakers for SB... Nation, uh, where he's a beat writer and editor-in-chief. How you doing, Harrison?
1: Uh, I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. Now, the first thing I have to ask you, right, uh, the last two weeks in the NBA, especially in Lakers Nation, has been kind of crazy with the passing of Kobe Bryant. I I just want to ask you, as somebody that covers a team, you know, that's kind of in that LA, California area, what was kind of the reaction when everybody found out about the news?
1: You know, it was almost like the city kind of came to a stop for a couple days, like, really, like, the whole country did, I think, like, the first two days, really the whole world, I guess, Um, and, like, it just seemed like the only news anyone was talking about at all for, like, two days was the death of Kobe Bryant, and it extended past that in Los Angeles, Like, like, genuinely, it seemed like all of Southern California was just kind of at a standstill until... That first game that they had back against the Portland Trail Blazers. And, like, obviously that was an emotional night. Everybody saw that. They had another game the next night. And then after that, things started to get a little bit more back to normal. But this team, uh, like, itself, and I think the fan base as a result has just been exhausted, it seems like, for the last month. And, uh, you know, like, Kobe's tragic passing only contributed to that. So I think when like, everybody was really ready for an All Star break, just like in you know, a ton of different ways.
0: Now, what was the mood in that building on Friday when they played the Portland Trailblazers a couple weeks ago? Just describe that mood.
1: So, I was not actually there, but I, um, you know, just from what I gathered from talking to people and from, you know, our writer who was there, um, it just sounded like like it was basically a memorial that was interrupted by a basketball game. It was just everyone was incredibly emotional. The whole crowd, I think, just, like, almost didn't really know how to feel. Like, there's this... I think there's this inherent awkwardness when you have, you know, this amazing tribute by the Lakers and the NBA and everything before the game. And then it's like, oh, okay, let's go play a basketball game. Except for, like, some of the Lakers are crying on the bench. And, you know, like, everybody's really clearly emotional and tired. And uh, it, it was just, like, a, a very, very weird vibe.
0: Now, I do want to talk to you about, like, the Lakers this season, right? Uh, they're number one seed in the West. Uh, they're clear about five games now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, just beat the Denver Nuggets. Uh, a couple days ago uh, Just just talk about how this team Kind of came into the season And how they've performed so far Because I think a lot of people thought That they were going to kind of struggle To start the season And it's been exactly the opposite They've, you know, flown right out of the gates And they've just kept it rolling Just talk about that
1: Yeah, I mean, I think after they missed out on Kawhi There was almost like this like, I feel like a lot of people forgot at that point because they missed out on someone that, like, oh, wait, they got Anthony Davis, and he's really good. And the backup plan of, like, bringing in a bunch of guys that kind of fit around LeBron and Anthony Davis, the shooters and defenders and whatever, like, this roster really makes sense. And it just seems like there was a little bit of a collective lowering of expectations because there was, like, a super team on the table, and they didn't do that. But I think a lot of the collective analysis missed that, like, this is still very much a very real contender. And then when it was kind of exacerbated when they lost to the Clippers on opening night because then it was like, oh yeah, okay, the Clippers are better, you know, like they beat them even without Paul George. Like this is, you know, the Clippers like thing now and they're going to be the favorites and all that. And then the Lakers just went on this basically like crazy run from then on only really losing like, I think like it was something like seven of their next like, 35 games or something like that and uh like they have been winning with defense they have been their offense has started to come around like they've showed that they can win ways in multiple ways they've showed that multiple guys can step up and contribute alongside lebron and anthony davis who have both been really incredible to start the year and you know this team they have some pretty, like, glaring and obvious flaws that I think sometimes obfuscate a little bit, that they're also really, really good, and that over a seven-game series, I think they could be, like, a real problem for anyone.
0: Now, when you kind of talk about some of the flaws that the Lakers have, just talk about some of those flaws, because, you know, people have talked about, you know, Darren Collison didn't work out, obviously, uh, decided to stay retired. You know, people have been talking about, you know, having a secondary ball handler for LeBron. Just talk about some of those flaws that the Lakers do have.
1: Yeah, so it's exactly what you just mentioned. It's the, the, the biggest thing is the secondary ball handling. Like, this team, uh, like when LeBron goes to the bench, they get a lot worse almost every single game. Like, there have been a couple games where the bench has managed to go on runs, and that's always, like, a pleasant surprise, I think, for the team. Um, but for the most part, when LeBron sits, they have not been very good, and that's because they don't have a single player who can – not only handle the ball, but also play make, also score a little bit for themselves, and isn't a complete defensive liability. Like, if they were to take all of their guards and kind of Frankenstein's monster them into one player, they would be able to have that player. But right now, it's like anyone that you put out there has flaws. Like, you know, you have Quinn Cook, um, like, if you throw him out there, like, he can shoot, yeah, but he's not a very good defender, even though he tries. Like, Alex Russo is a great defender, but not necessarily a shooter, or, like, an amazing first option playmaker. Like, he's okay as a secondary one, but he has weaknesses there. And then Rondo, like, really has tailed off after starting the year pretty hot from three. And, like, he can't really shoot much. He can't defend at all. He can pass, but he doesn't always make the best decisions. And, like, Troy Daniels is literally just a shooter. So they have, like, especially a playmaking problem running down the roster like that. And, you know, I think Darren Collison could have helped there. And we saw, how Lakers fans reacted, uh, you know, when the team, they didn't make a move at the trade deadline and everybody was like, oh, they're getting Darren Collison, which was only kind of further reinforced by him showing up to the game and sitting next to the genie bus, uh, like basically the very next night, and um, then he decided to stay retired, and we do, at SB Nation, we do something called Sand Pulse, where we measure fan base, like, confidence in the team. And, like, you know, ask them a the national question each week. And so this week the national question was, what team do you think has the best chance to win the title, like Bucks, Clippers, or Lakers? Among national to NBA fans, that the Lakers came in third. And then among just Lakers fans and their confidence in their team, like, we saw the biggest one-week drop that we've had all season after the call of the news and the trade deadline stuff. So I, I think people – you know, are a little bit more hardened now that they have that really great game against the Nuggets where they showed a lot of resilience and they came back to win. Um, and, you know, the confidence, I think, is going to be up and down all season because the stakes are really high. But um, I did think that that was notable that we had, we saw that huge drop after those two events.
0: Now, I think, do you think, and this is my kind of my thinking about it, too, why you need a secondary uh, ball handler. I want to know your opinion on this. Do you think part of it, too, is because, right, LeBron James is 35 years old. I think most people would still say he's the best player on the team, and people still say he's the best player in the NBA, quite possibly. But you have him handling, having him handle the ball. You know, in the playoffs, you're going to have to ask him to defend, and you're going to have to ask him to score. And other guys are question marks. You know, we've never seen Anthony Davis on the super big stage, right? Conference Finals, NBA Finals kuzma you know kind of hit or miss do you think that's kind of a concern that lebron james is going to have to do everything and you kind of want a secondary ball handler because it's like okay lebron you just go in the corner for a couple minutes and get a little bit of a rest and you don't want him having to do everything at this stage of his career
1: no i think that's absolutely the concern and like to be fair to lebron he's shown that he can do a, a lot of those things and still play defense but even that at that point like That's why we see these Rondo LeBron minutes that no one really wants to watch and nobody really wants to see. But it's because LeBron wants there to be times, I think, where there's, you know, he's out on the floor and he's not having to bear that sole playmaking burden. Like he's 35, he's not going to be able to do that forever. And I think that there is and probably should be some level of concern there where you don't want to have to ask him to do everything so that he can't take it up another notch during the playoffs. Now, I mean, maybe he can still do that. But like, yeah, I mean, I think that that's like, you hit on it right there. It's like that. That's the big turn is that like, not only wear and tear on him, but like, what do they do when he goes to the bench? They need one of these other guys to be able to kind of be at the very least steady hand. And they've tried a number of things. Like they've tried Caruso in that role. They've tried Rondo in that role. They've even tried having Anthony Davis kind of get the ball at half court and initiate from there. But then you're almost asking him to do too much. So. I think, like, that it's basically exactly what you hit on. Like, they need someone else that can do those types of things.
0: Who do you think is going to be that guy, though, for the Los Angeles Come Playoff time?
1: You know, uh, it's, how, how, big are, uh, how big of a fan are you, of you are, uh, are you of Dion Waiters? Like, you know, or uh, J.R. Smith or <laughs> one of these guys. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I think they're looking at the buyout market, but Collison was the main guy that made sense. Like, there's There's some talk that Reggie Jackson might be bought out in Detroit, but, you know, his agent has, like, a lot of history with the Lakers and Rob Palenka of, like, not really uh, having the greatest relationship with them. And Reggie Jackson, you know, is apparently really, really good friends with Paul George. So, you know, he could maybe help, but probably is unlikely to join this side of the hallway. Um, And so I don't really know what they're going to do. Like, I I think they're basically going to have to roll with who they have or take a chance on a guy who very easily might not work out. So, I don't know. Like, I think maybe one thing that they could try to do a little bit more is run a little bit more pick-and-roll with Kyle Kuzma uh, during those bench minutes because he's shown that that's a pretty effective set for him. But at the same time, like, you know, if you're just running pick-and-roll with Kyle Kuzma every time, there are ways to stop that, and there are ways that teams are going to adjust to that. So, maybe it's something they're kind of trying to keep in their bag for the season or something like that.
0: How surprising do you think it's been for everybody that LeBron James, you know, 17th year in the NBA, 35 years old, he's still arguably the best player in the NBA. And we're talking about they need a secondary ball handler, but they might just be like, LeBron, you know, you you take us home. And that, and that could work. And it's been working so far. Just talk about how LeBron James is still able to have this high level of excellence like this late in his career.
1: No, I mean, honestly, it's incredible. It's a testament to his work ethic. It's testament to how much of his own money and resources that he pours into taking care of himself. Um, You know, like, it's incredible. Like, I going into this year, I thought there was a chance that we would see the, the type of reinvigoration that we've seen from LeBron on offense. Like, I was like, okay, he's, he's got the teammate he wants. Anthony Davis is going to help him there because, like, it's a screen roll partner They're basically unstoppable. Um, and so we'll see a better LeBron on offense than we saw last year when, you know, he was kind of self-load managing on the floor a little bit at times. But I, I did not expect the level of defensive engagement that we've seen from him, especially not this far into the season. Like, when he came out kind of playing really, really hard on defense, I was like, all right, he's going to have to tail that off a little bit by midseason or something like that. Like, I was a little bit pessimistic about it. But I, I will hand up – I will freely admit that I was wrong. Like, he- there have been times where he's been a little bit less engaged defensively, but, like, we just saw against the Nuggets last game going into the break, like – he showed up to the arena early. He was taking Nikola. He was taking Nikola Jokic on possessions, and like he's ready to go, and really seems to have been like taken to heart that Anthony Davis wanted to push him to be first team all defense this season. Now, I don't know if he's actually going to make it. Like that would seem to be a bit of an uphill climb, especially for a guy that often does not guard the opposing like the best opposing wing player, but he's been really, really good on defense and like yeah, it's just incredible to watch in year seventeen, just all of it, really.
0: And you talk about Anthony Davis challenging LeBron James uh on the defensive end, like need you on the defensive end. You just talk about their relationship.
1: You know, it seems to be an incredibly good one. There's that clip going around today of Anthony Davis as, like, LeBron was going to walk up to do his media availability. Anthony Davis was pretending to be a fan yelling out, LeBron, I love you. And they, after games, they, they you know, they have the lockers right next to each other. They sit there, listen to what each other are saying to the media to try and stay in lockstep. They're constantly ribbing each other and teasing each other and making fun of each other like I think we all probably do with our, our really close friends. Um, you know, LeBron's constantly checking to see what time Anthony Davis is leaving so that they can walk out together. Uh, like, they, they're really, really close and really, really, like, hanging out both on and um, And, like, on the floor, their chemistry is super obvious. Like, it, there was no adjustment period. There was nothing. Like, they came into the season Immediately seeming to pretty much get where each other liked the ball, where each other wanted their screens, where each other wanted whatever, and you know having good synergy on the defensive end. Like I think it really just says a lot about how smart both players are and how seamless there is skill set wise. Like you know this wasn't like going into the year. I think most of us thought that they would fit well together, and they've only kind of they've only proved that right and more by how quickly it came together and how effective they've
0: been as a duo. And, you know, it's really interesting, too, because it's really funny. When you look back at the beginning of the everybody was thinking about how's Frank Vogel going to deal with LeBron and Anthony Davis, right? There's Jason Kidd waiting in the wings. There's Lionel Hollins. And all of it's worked out well. So I want to ask you, how is Frank Vogel keeping this all together and making this come out smoothly? Because I have to imagine, right, you know, Anthony Davis is challenging LeBron James on the defensive end, but part of that's Frank Vogel, you know, holding him accountable. Like, we haven't always seen LeBron James especially this late in his career, play that way on the defensive end. So just talk about Frank Vogel's impact.
1: I mean, I think part of it is, like, he came in and did not come in as, like, some authoritarian coach that was like, it's my way or the highway. I'm going to tell you what to do. He openly admits all the time in a fairly egoless way That he consults with LeBron and Anthony Davis on a lot of the decisions that he makes, just like Rob Palenka talks about it, like in the front office, like they have very clearly been given a sense of ownership in this team. And so I think that that works two ways. Number one, it makes them more enthusiastic about contributing, and number two, like it makes it their fault when things don't go well. It can't immediately go on the coach because a lot of things like they're wanting to do, and a lot of the ways that they approach things is LeBron and Anthony Davis's influence as well as Frank Vogel. And so, I think that another factor that's really worked for him is I, I think I, I get the sense that Jason Kidd, he knew what his reputation was coming in. I think there was a possibility that he took a look at, okay, why is everybody immediately making this joke that Frank Vogel is a dead man walking and that I'm going to be, you know, backstabbing him right away? And, you know, I I think he went to a lot of lengths to make sure that that's not the way that people are talking about him this year. Now, will that change if the Lakers start to struggle at some point? Or will that change next year if he decides that he wants to be a head coach again? I don't know, but right now, like, everybody seems to be rolling in the same direction and I think a big part of it is just the way that Frank Vogel has made LeBron and Anthony Davis feel like they have a lot of say on this team and like he's not gonna fight them on that, like that they're working together. And I also think it's just it's his preparation. Like he comes almost every single game with a really solid defensive game plan and if stuff like that keeps working players are going to buy in like they're going to see that oh this thing that this guy told us to do is working so i'm going to believe him the next time like we all feel that way at work like we've all had bad bosses and we've all had good bosses and when you have a boss that's constantly giving you tips and every single time they give you a tip it works out or it works really well for you then you're going to be more willing to listen to them than a boss that comes in is kind of screaming at you all the time and doesn't seem to necessarily always know what they're talking about like that's just human nature and frank vogel has very much been in the former category where i think the whole team really seems to respect him and his approach
0: now what's frank vogel and Jason Kidd's relationship, like,
1: you know, like by all accounts, it's really good. Like, you know, Frank and J- like Jason Kidd has refused to talk to the media, basically, except unless it is about. Frank and, like, something positive that he is doing. Like, other than that, he has declined all media interviews and not really talked. And every single time he talks, he's talking about how great Frank is, how much he's learning from him. And every time Frank talks, he talks about how much a, or every time he's asked about Jason Kidd, uh, he talks about how much of an asset he's been to the Lakers how it's great to have someone with that level of playing experience that can relate to stars like LeBron and AD. Jason Kidd was a star for a long time in this league. Like, you know, he finished up his career as a role player, but he was really, really special, like an MVP candidate during his prime. And so he he knows what it's like to carry a team on your back and to be at the center of an organization. And I think that they've used that as a bridge instead of as a way to go about a coup, like so many kind of speculated might happen, including myself, uh, going into the season.
0: Now, really, to me, the surprise player of the team has been Dwight Howard. Uh, he went from a kid. It's funny how, how a couple of years ago, the, the jokes about Dwight Howard uh, and just his resurgence and becoming really a, a very, very good player. Like, you know, a, and he probably could be starting, but he comes off the bench like a very good player. Just talk about Dwight Howard's resurgence and how much of an impact he makes for this team.
1: Yeah, you know, it was one of these things where I'm—I'm I'm going to toot my own horn here because I'm not right all the time. But like I—and I'm not going to claim that I was right on this and that predicting that he would be this effective. But in the off season you know, everybody is freaking out about why they had Dwight Howard, he's washed up, Lakers fans hate him, he's going to get booed at home, whatever. I was like, you know, if you squint and you take away the name and you just look at the skill set and you kind of forget about the injury history or just say, you know, hopefully he's recovered, like, you can see why he's a fit on this team. He kind of mirrors JaVale McGee. In a lot of ways, in terms of like very in very broad strokes of their skill set, they're different players, but essentially they're both screeners and rim, rim runners and rim protectors and whatever. Like in very very broad strokes, they're similar players, so that that helps the rotation when you're kind of only game planning around one type of big man, uh, big man on offense or on defense. And so like he kind of somewhat made sense, but you know I think that there was a lot of pessimism about it too. Like we all saw how his first tenure in L.A. went. We all kind of knew that. He said the right things in a lot of stops, and then come in and started demanding post touches ten games in or something like that. So, you know, it it wasn't super clear how it was going to work out, and I think it's worked out better than you know probably even the Lakers with White. Imagine that it could like he's going to be in the slam dunk contest tonight as of when we're recording this, and you know like that's a testament to the redemption that his public narrative has kind of went through, and he's been arguably their third best player this season. Like I think there's an argument to be made for him. There's an argument to me. Be- To be made for uh, KCP but Dwight has really really turned his whole career around and like to the point that now he's getting named as one of the I mean it's 44 finalists but one of the 44 like people that could make Team USA like I don't think he'll actually make it but just the fact that they even named him and are thinking of bringing him in to that group is kind of an incredible you know, turn from where he was at, even going into just this year. Like, the Grizzlies were basically saying, hey, like, you're on our roster, but you can go work out for other teams because we don't want you. Like, it's kind of crazy how he's been able to turn everything around this year.
0: And it's really interesting, too, when you mentioned the third best player on the Lakers team. You mentioned Dwight Howard, then you mentioned KCP, but you didn't mention Kuzma. Kuzma's been a bit of an enigma. Uh, I think coming to the everybody thought he was going to be that third option, third best player on the team, but it hasn't quite fallen that way for Kuzma. What do you think Kuzma needs to do to take the next step and be that guy?
1: You know, it, it's tough to say. That's the question that a lot of people are asking, and I think if I knew that, I would be employed as an NBA coach somewhere and uh, like making a lot more money than I do right now, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I mean, Kuzma... Like, not only has he not been have really an argument to be their third-best player, like, it's debatable if he's even in the top five or six. Like, he has really, like... He's come in and he's playing harder on defense, so he deserves credit for that, but the offensive fit has not been great. Um, And, you know, he hasn't shot the ball as well as he would probably like to, and he just doesn't look totally comfortable out there. And Some of that is not on him. Like, there have been games where... Rajon Rondo really makes an effort to get him going and Kuzma looks better. But like in games where he's playing with the bench and there's no true ball handler out there really looking for him to execute, then he's either being asked to do too much, like by going at it alone as like an isolation scorer, which he's not really that guy, or he's not really doing enough because he's kind of just floating and waiting for someone to get him involved and not really able to get involved that way. And so I don't really know what the answer is. Like, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about getting him in more pick-and-rolls and and that being a potential solution for the Lakers' ball-handling woes. Like, he's not a traditional playmaker, but he can score out of that set. And, he talked, you know, I asked him, like, uh, earlier this year, and he talked to me about how how much more comfortable he is running that set this year and that that allows him to get in rhythm because he gets to touch the ball. But, you know, the reality of this team is when Anthony Davis and LeBron are both in the lineup, Kuzma is not going to get to touch the ball a whole lot. And so, like, that's something that he and the team need to figure out a way, other ways to make him effective. And, you know, I think so far they've probably done a subpar job of that.
0: And it's interesting, too, because Kuzma was the one young guy that the Lakers elected to keep. Do you think there's kind of a little bit of revisionist history where everybody's kind of like right now, oh, You know, maybe we should have kept Lonzo. Maybe we should have kept Ingram because it looks like Ingram. I mean, I know Ingram has a a lot more opportunity in New Orleans, but Ingram's playing better, and Ingram's an all-star, and even Lonzo. I mean, you could say Lonzo does some better stuff that might fit with the team better than Kuzma. And to me, really, the only thing Kuzma does really, really well is he likes to take a lot of shots, which I don't know is the best thing in the world. So do you think there's kind of a little bit of, man, maybe we should have kept Lonzo. We should have kept Ingram or Josh Hart.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I think there are definitely people who have had revisionist history there and tried to make those arguments that you're talking about, but it is very much revisionist history. Yes, during the negotiations, the Lakers did leak that Anthony Davis or that Kyle Kuzma was the untouchable one, and whatever. But if you look at the math of the salaries. It just didn't make sense to include him. Like maybe you could argue that Josh, like Josh Hart and him, would be interchangeable in the trade as constructed. But if you're trying to keep Ingram or Lonzo in that deal, like Bert talking, completely reconstructing it and changing like a ton of things around to the point of potentially making it unworkable, just because of how much less Kuzma makes than they do. And so I do think that that was a little bit of provision in history, and it was a little bit of the Lakers leaking his name to make him feel good versus that, like, actually being a consideration in negotiations. Like, I think most of us knew that Lonzo and Ingram were going to be the guys that David Griffin was going to go after, like, not just for salary reasons, but because I think that they have far more potential and are far more promising, like, I would like to imagine that the Lakers actually realize that as well, but, you know, I don't know, Kuzma acts like Kobe sometimes, so, uh, like, I think uh, they definitely valued, like, his approach to the game, and a lot of things more so than maybe other teams that don't have him in their building did.
0: Now, I do want to ask you, right, because it's kind of the big elephant in the room this year, Clippers versus Lakers, how big is the rivalry actually?
1: So, I mean, what are we asking about? Like, between the players? Are we asking, like, in the city? Like, what are we talking about?
0: Okay, let's start with between the players.
1: Between the players, like, I mean, I'm sure there's a sense of pride, and, like, it does seem like both teams really want to win those games. Like, you saw how much Patrick Beverly was trash talking after the Clippers last win on Christmas Day you saw how down the Lakers seemed after that loss like but at the same time like you know Anthony Davis was talking today at All-Star about how Kawhi's his guy and how they're always going to be friends even if they're going to compete between the lines like I don't think the rivalry between the players will really get cemented until there's a little bit more bad blood and like uh, history of them playing against each other because like as much as it seems like an easy narrative and storyline like these both of these teams have really only been together for a couple months now. Like, I I don't think that there's institutional memory for them to really have, like, that much hatred in a rivalry. Although, like, like, when they all talk about it, they talk about, oh, it's going to be fun for the city to have a rivalry and whatever. Like, but I don't think that there's that much bad blood or, you know, uh, disagreement or rivalry or animosity there yet.
0: Now, I do have to ask you this, right? Because, like I said, coming into the year, there's a lot of controversy, right? Everybody's like... Everybody keeps saying Rob Polinka was a snake. That kept coming up. Everybody's like, Jeannie Bus doesn't know what she's doing. The random Magic Johnson uh, quitting his job, right? Uh, do you think that all that... and like, There's a lot of talk about the Lakers being a dysfunctional front office. And, and we've seen what they've done now and how successful they've been. Do you think all that was overblown?
1: As far as, No, I, I really don't. I, I think that a lot of things have worked out for them. But the way that they got here was not ideal process in any way. I think that it was... Like, you know, genuinely, I, I think that there were some things that were probably a little bit overblown. Like, the whole idea that Rob Kalinka and the Lakers didn't understand the cap, and that's why they were having to get more teams involved to free up max cap space for Kawhi. I don't really buy that. Like, Rob Kalinka was touted as cap guy coming in. The Lakers have a cap guy in their front office. Like, I, I think that, like, stuff like that, like him not understanding cap, like, I don't think that that was real. Um, I do think that... You know, like, the way that they got here and all of the infighting and, you know, instability and whatever, like, obviously it's worked out. Like, you know, Polinka is in the big chair now. he's just got a promotion. Things have been much more stable and smooth since he took over versus how they were when Magic Johnson was there and during the fallout of his resignation. And, you know, like, but even, like, you look at something like the Frank Vogel hire, like. They were going to hire Ty Lue, and then Ty Lu didn't want Jason Kidd on the bench. And, like, other things, the, the, um, like the answer for this team, I don't think that he had the experience to be able to do the job. Like, I think he was obviously a really good player, but I don't think that he put the time in to be good at the job. And, you know, we saw how leaky they were while he was there from people, like, I, I will just say, like, from reporters with connections to Magic going back you know a long time and so like the fact that he was gone and all of a sudden they're leaking far less they're far more successful they're more buttoned up um the moves that they make make a lot more sense and seem less helper-skelter like i think that was the problem and i think when you have someone like that leave there is not just like maybe competency will come in you know basically no matter what solution you take as a result of that, but that's also a gigantic power void to fill, and I think that we saw, you know, like a lot of instability as a result of that when someone like that
0: just departs the organization with no warning. So you think there's no coincidence that things have gotten a lot smoother since Magic has left the front office? I
1: mean, One one thousand percent. Like I know just for me personally and my job is like a reporter and a blogger and like someone who has to aggregate and write about a lot of these trade rumors and things like that. Like, yes, granted, they were not involved in the Anthony Davis stuff, but you, you just see like there's so much less whispers and noise about this team. And, you know, maybe that changes if they really start to struggle or something like that. But, you know, it just really seems like they have shut off a lot of those connections and a lot of those leaks. And are just running things a lot more smoothly and competently.
0: Now, who's the best player? Give, give me this. Who are the four best players in Los Angeles, Clippers and Lakers?
1: Oh, I mean, like a four. It's it's Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard. No, um, well, one through
0: four, rank them one through four for me. One through four.
1: Oh, rank them. Um, hmm, that's actually a good question. I guess, uh, like, there we're talking about like how do we value you know a game's played and whatever like. I would I would argue probably LeBron one, uh, and then I would say probably Kawhi two, Davis three, and then Paul George four. I just think like Paul George is great and obviously has the potential to like jump up on those lists, but I don't think that you get a lot of argument from almost anyone that like the three guys above him that you take them. And he's missed a bunch of time, so like he doesn't really have a chance to be I think like uh, you know one of those top three.
0: How close do you think Kawhi Leonard actually is to being better than LeBron James? Because you could, you sounded like you were a little hesitant about it.
1: Yeah, no, I think, like, it just depends on what you value. And so for me, like, the fact that LeBron has played almost every single game, he is the hub of everything the Lakers do offensively when he's in, he is contributing on defense, like to me that makes him number one, but I can also see how you could say like, okay the regular season's great, but let's see in the postseason, what did Kawhi just do last year like, he basically load managed his way to like running roughshod through the entire East, and like shutting down some of the best players in the game um, and so like, maybe you value that more and it's like, you know, maybe he could do that again, and so you rank that above but like, I just think that there's a little bit, he's a little bit less useful offensively. Like he's a little bit less of the central engine of what the Clippers do while being like, still, I will freely admit an incredible player offensively. And he is a better defender than LeBron, but I just like, I value the game play thing. And like the, you're doing it almost every single night more so than like, you know, it just feels a little bit like cheaper is probably the, like a stronger word than I really mean it, but it just feels a little bit less meaningful. I guess when, the guy is, like, getting a lot more rest and being able to do the things that he's doing and still arguably has not been as good as LeBron has this
0: year. Now, what's, like, the funniest story that you've had covering or, like, or you've heard about the team this year that you're like, you know, that's really interesting, that's funny, that's quirky. What's the most, like, interesting thing all year that's happened with the Lakers? Ah,
1: ah, you're really putting me on the spot. Um, let me think, uh... You know, I'm not sure that I have, like, a great one right now. I mean, like, the the thing just, like, stuff that's happened a couple times, like, I I could talk about, like, you know, um, like, LeBron and Dwight almost every single game after games have like it's awful when you're trying to do interviews but also kind of hilarious where lebron is blasting his music after he finishes up like every single post game and then dwight will come in from shooting threes out on the court also blasting music but they're different songs and you kind of so you kind of have this like dueling thing where they're playing chicken to see who's going to turn theirs off first and usually it ends up being dwight for obvious reasons like lebron is a lot more cool there um And so, like, you know, that's been, like, amusing to go through, um, you know, Frank Vogel has, like, low-key been, like, kind of funny this year, he's, like, had some dad jokes during media availabilities and stuff like that, um, but, like, as far as, like, a specific story, I'm struggling to think of, like, one, uh, like, like, one that that just, like, is, you know, amazing.
0: Okay, what type, what type of music were were LeBron and Dwight playing?
1: Uh, you know, usually LeBron is like slow jams, and Dwight, honestly, like I, gen- I genuinely have no idea
0: sometimes. <laughs> and what? You got to tell us a dad joke that Frank Vogel said. <laughs> Frank Vogel dad joke.
1: I mean, it's more like like he tries to like do this like sarcastic like deadpan thing, but he's also smiling the whole time, so it's not super clear like what's going. Like he'll he'll make jokes about um, like you know not really like there was earlier this year he was joking about not needing Anthony Davis and then he quickly realized how much that was going to be taken out of context and immediately was like yeah that was just a joke like obviously we need Anthony Davis but we're undefeated without him I just wanted to note that um and so like he has these like little you know like jokes your dad would make and stuff like that
0: <laughs> so I, I get what you mean now my last question for you Harrison What are you, because, all right, All-Star Weekend, we're recording this, All-Star Weekend's going on. What's your favorite part of All-Star Weekend, and what are you looking most forward to?
1: So uh, my favorite part is actually the three-point contest, Um, and usually I just like, I enjoy watching really good shooters try to see how many they can make like under some level of pressure and there's the weirdness of getting the ball off the racks and what strategies the guy used to use and how well they shoot on the money ball and stuff like that. Like, I'm a shooting nerd and so I kind of, I enjoy that part of it. Um, This year though, I'm honestly looking most forward to the dunk contest just because I'm really, really curious to see what Dwight Howard has in store you know and like as far as like not just like is he going to do a kobe tribute which i think seems like basically a certainty given that kobe had said that he was going to help him out with his dunk before he you know like tragically passed away um But I'm also like, he's clearly still athletic. And I just like, you know, I want to see, like, it's weird to see a 34 year old in the dunk contest. And I want to see if he can like, maybe make some noise and, you know, at least move on to the second round or something like that, or maybe win the whole thing. Like we know, you know, Sabrina Merchant, who writes for us, had a great column up on this today about why she excited for the dunk contest. And, you know, Dwight's a showman. Like I'm very curious to see what he brings out there and uh, like tries to, you know, get really get the crowd going with some of his creativity on
0: this stuff. Harrison, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to do it.
0: And I want to thank everybody for tuning into this episode, the 130th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.